This podcast episode was recorded live at the 2022 ASCO Annual Meeting in Chicago by Oncology Data Advisor and Convey Med. Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. I'm Kira Smith. Today I'm here at the ASCO Annual Meeting in Chicago speaking with Irvi Shaw from Memorial Sloan Kettering. Thank you for joining us. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a hematologist and oncologist on the myeloma service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And uh, I'm happy to be here to talk to you all. So I know you moderated the poster discussion session yesterday about plasma cell dyscrasias. Uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about the posters that were presented there? Definitely. I think the session was really well attended. It was a fantastic session in terms of the science presented. We had four panel discussants who pre- discussed about 11 abstracts. The topics that we discussed were CD38 monoclonal antibodies, bispecific antibodies, CAR T-cells, and the correlative analysis around them. We also discussed antibody drug conjugates, including the DREAM studies. So I'll go over maybe briefly about each of them. Sure. So the first CD38 monoclonal antibodies, we know they've been FDA approved since over 2015. And uh, Dr. Weisel put it into perspective with the two abstracts that we were discussing. The two abstracts were one by Dr. Cesar Rodriguez on the Griffin study that showed updates where Griffin study is basically a study looking at DARA VRD compared to VRD in the upfront newly diagnosed myeloma setting. And what he showed was that the DARA VRD arm, which is a quadruplet, had improved PFS and MRD negativity as well compared to the VRD arm. So we know that this combination does lead to longer and more sustained responses. But however, they showed data on a subgroup analysis of high-risk myeloma and that significance didn't exactly correlate into that population, but that's probably because of the small sample size. And I think, you know, we need more data in the long term to understand really what would be. But if, if it's benefiting the standard risk, it might probably be benefiting the high risk too in some ways compared to the triplet. The next abstract Dr. Weisel talked about was the abstract by Dr. Andrew Yi on, in the relapse myeloma setting using the CD38 monoclonal antibody daratumumab again. But this was a quadruplet in the relapsed myeloma setting. So this is daratumumab, carfilzomib, pomalidomide, and dexamethasone all used together. In this study, there were about 54% of patients who are standard risk, so it wasn't all high-risk patients. And they didn't talk about how many of them were functionally high-risk because if they what their PFS1 was. But it, it, we, what we do see is that patients had really nice uh, PFS2 and um, uh, remission times in with this co- combination. However, I think questions remain in terms of if you are doing a quadruplet at relapse and you're continuing all four drugs until progression, are we over-treating some patients or maybe are we curing some patients? And I think, you know, time will tell. And the other question that came up was that if you're doing a quadruplet with daratumumab in the relapse setting, what about the patients now who get it in the upfront setting? Does it still matter to add it in the relapse setting? And I think as things are moving so quickly, even the relapse setting needs to change. The next discussion was um, Dr. Christina Gasparetto, who talked about the antibody drug conjugates, finding your dream partner, so discussed all the dream studies. So the three studies and abstracts that were discussed were dream four, five, and six. Dream four is a study looking at belantamab mafodotin with pembrolizumab 
and this was a poster presented by Dr. Suvarna Sankha from uh, Suvarna Sankha. However, pembrolizumab with belantamab did not show any improvement in overall response rate and did not show any difference in toxicity. And so, what we what, the study was a negative study, but it is nice to highlight these kind of studies too, so we understand you know what's working and not. And the next study was the Dream Five study, which was the poster presented by Dr. Lonial, which looked at a GSI inhibitor along with belantamab mefodotin. So this GSI inhibitor increases the expression of the BCMA target, which belantamab targets. What the study did show is that there was an improvement about similar response rates, but reduction in toxicity and it was ophthalmologic toxicity. So this drug tends to cause eye toxicity and about 70% in the original studies had eye toxicity. So with this combination, because it increases the expression of the target, we were able to lower the dose of the drug needed. So since the drug dose was lower, the eye toxicity was reduced, but the response rate was maintained. So that's actually a way to keep the responses but mitigate the toxicity issues. So that you know, seems promising, and I think we'll see more of that going forward. And then the DREAM6 study looked at lenalidomide with belant belantamab mafodotin. However, this was in the earlier setting, so one to three prior lines. And in this setting, there were about 50-something patients who percent patients who had who had not received lenalidomide before. So while the responses looked very good, it's hard to know is it fully the belantamab effect or there is a part of it is the lenalidomide effect and this combination could be promising too. We did discuss in the panel that lenalidomide is already used upfront for most patients. So, you know, by the time belantamab is used in the relapse setting, most patients might be refractory to it. So we need to look at other dream partners like maybe pomalidomide or ibuterdomide instead of just lenalidomide. So I think those may be things we'll see down the road. The next two discussants, Dr. Roberto Mina discussed abstracts on bispecific antibodies. He discussed four abstracts, looking at teclistamab, uh, talquetamab, elranidamab. What he showed is that teclistamab, which was presented by Dr. Van de Donk as a poster comparing teclistamab to real-world data, showed there was a significant survival benefit with teclistamab compared to standard-of-care options in the locomotion study. This is something we would kind of expect with, you know, a, a new drug and target that's being used. But it's exciting because teclistamab is a drug that we might see soon available to patients because it's nearing, you know, data is maturing and nearing approval. The next, uh, the same drug, teclistamab, was looked at in another abstract where they looked at what if we sequence BCMA therapies one after the other. So do patients still respond if they already had a BCMA therapy upfront? So all patients in this cohort had received prior BCMA therapies. And what they showed is despite receiving prior BCMA therapies, the patients had about a 50%, 50% or so response rate. And I think that's promising. Despite them having already received one of these therapies, they still responded to the next one. The third one on, uh, on talquetamab, which is a different target, a GPRC5D target, they looked at different dosing schedules and showed that they are similar, so Q weekly versus Q2 weekly. But overall, the response rates with all of these bispecifics are about 60 to 70%, and they're overall well-tolerated except 
for the increased risk of infections, which need to be managed and monitored for. Though Dr. Chari did bring up uh, an important point that with talquetamab, we see less of the hypogamma globulinemia than we do we see with BCMA targeting agents. I think I spoke to you about all the abstracts in the bispecific space. And uh, there was, sorry, one more that I missed was the alranitimab abstract by Dr. Jakubawiak, who um, had presented that poster showing that alranitimab in the Majestic 1 study, sorry, the Magnetism 1 study had about a similar PF, uh, a similar response rate of 70%. And they also had a cohort of patients that had prior BCMA therapies and in the, and saw similar results of about 50% response rates. So I think it's nice that two studies are showing about the same thing. So the last abstract discussion was Dr. Alfred Garfall from the University of Pennsylvania. He discussed two abstracts, the posters from uh, one discussing Ida cell and the other Silta cell and the correlative analysis around it. The Silta cell study was a CAR-T-Tude 2 study looking at patients in one to three prior lines of therapy. So this is different than the CAR-T-Tude 1 study, which looked at more heavily relapsed patients. What he did, what they did show is that patients with one to three prior lines also had a, a very good a similar responses to the CAR-T-Tude 1 study, but the responses were so good in the CAR-T-Tude 1 study that it was hard to show a significant improvement despite this being in earlier lines of therapy. So I think overall we can say that this is a promising therapy. What was interesting is that they looked at other correlatives and said like a better CD4, CD8 ratio and um, IL-6 levels tend to correlate with CRS or cytokine release syndrome. So there is a little bit of a signal on what tends to increase the risk of these side effects. The last poster that was discussed was the poster looking at iris cell. And this study looked at, you know, they looked at baseline of characteristics, both patient factors and the manufacturing characteristics and clustered these different characteristics into four different clusters, cluster one, two, three, four. Cluster four was the best and cluster one the worst in terms of outcomes. And they showed a different PFS benefit with each of these clusters. So if, looking at these clusters, we know that factors such as the albumin level or the absolute lymphocyte count, CD4, CD8 ratio are important in knowing whether a patient might benefit. I think these studies give us pause to think that, you know, T cells may not be something that everybody is right for everybody, but we can at least figure out who, which are the right populations that should be getting these drugs and the ones that may not benefit but might actually have the side effects from it. So while it's not directly yet translatable because it, there were so many different factors involved, I think eventually Dr. Garfal mentioned an important point that maybe a validated scoring system could be included, which, which would help us decide like if a patient gets the right score on that that, they, that that they may be the ones to benefit from these therapies. So with that, I'll conclude. I think we saw a lot of interesting data and um, it was put into perspective really well with all the discussions and it was well attended too. Great. Thank you. That was a fantastic overview um, and it really helps put all the data into, into perspective. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So I know a lot of your research also focuses on multiple myeloma and nutrition. So what are the studies that you currently have open in this space? 
That's a great question. So nutrition is uh, something we're looking at because it's the most asked question by patients. And I don't think we have much data in this space other than epidemiologic studies. We have one pilot study currently open and enrolling that's almost nearing completion, but we still have a few spots left. This is the Nutrivention pilot study. What this study is looking at is patients with MGUS or smoldering myeloma and a BMI over 25. Patients get a whole food plant-based diet for three months and they're followed for one year on the study. Our primary endpoint on the study is weight loss, but we're also looking at other markers like the metabolic metabolic markers, myeloma markers, the microbiome, and other immune changes. So we're looking forward to, you know, uh, getting this data out by the end of the year because we're close to finishing the study. That's the Nutrivention pilot study. The next study, the Nutrivention 2 study, which I think will open closer to the end of this year, is kind of like a signal finding study with the Health Tree Foundation. This study will be a telehealth study, so it's nice because patients can be all over the country and they don't have to come to our institution at MSK. This study is going to be a 100-patient study. They're going to be only patients with smoldering myeloma enroll on the study, and they can have any BMI. The, the study has four different cohorts. There's a, one cohort will receive two weeks of probiotics, another two weeks of curcumin, another two weeks of omega-3 fatty acids, and the last cohort receives two weeks of a whole food plant-based diet. Patients will be randomized and we'll be collecting stool to understand changes on the microbiome. So this is only a microbiome study and we're not looking at other things in this study. The third study, the Nutrivention 3 study, is a study very similar to the first one that I talked about, except it includes any BMI patients and it's a randomized study. So this study will actually be a very large involved study of 150 patients. It's going to open at MSK and likely at another site in Atlanta, Emory as well down the road. This study is going to be a randomized control study. So there will be 50 patients receiving diet versus 50 receiving supplements, which are omega three and curcumin and 50 patients receiving placebo supplements. But to make it interesting for all patients, all patients will receive the diet at some point on the study for three months. The ones that get the, the placebo or the supplement will just get it, get the diet after three months. And all patients will be followed for a year on this study. And then the last study, the Nutrivention 4 study that we have actually open at MSK at this time is in patients who were in the myeloma space. So this is patients who had myeloma and um, they finished induction therapy plus minus a transplant and they're going on to maintenance therapy. At the t and they've achieved more than a very good partial response. So once they've achieved that response, they can go on this randomized study looking at quality of life factors between daratumumab and lenalidomide and there'll be 50 patients randomized in each arm, so overall 100 patient study. What we've done is we've developed a sub-study to this study called the Nutrivention 4 study, which is completely optional for patients that go on to the primary DARA versus LEN study. And what 15 patients on each arm will be given the opportunity to get three months of uh, a whole food plant-based diet. And we're gonna look at the effect of the diet in patients on maintenance therapy as well. So whether, you know, diet and the microbiome affect the immune system and immune therapies as well, and if we can see changes around that. So we're excited about these four studies, and hopefully they'll all be open by the end of this year, though two are already open at this time. Great. Well, this is all really fascinating, and it's, it'll be exciting to see, you know, what happens with the studies. <laughs> thank you so much. So, yeah. yeah, well, thank you again for stopping by. It was, it was wonderful to talk with you. Likewise. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast recorded live at the 2022 ASCO Annual Meeting by Oncology Data Advisor and Convey Med. For more expert perspectives on the latest in cancer research and treatment, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at conveymed.io and oncdata.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media for news, exclusive interviews, and more. Thank you.